But it's more than just Christmas. It's, it's church. The point is the gospel. Living on planet Earth as a Christian, the point is the gospel. It's the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. We studied, it's so incredible the way, listen, God is trying to speak to us. Not trying, he is. We're here on Thursday night and we're studying Jonah. And I've made much, even on Sunday mornings, of jo- studying Jonah really had a profound impact on my life. We're studying Jonah and, and we realize that Jonah was one of the only guys that I'm aware of that uh, he went and he preached and people listened and heard him and he couldn't stand it, he hated it. Because his attitude was all wrong. He wanted God to... God wanted Jonah to go to these lost, terrible, sinful people and preach to them that they needed to repent. Does that sound familiar? Sounds kind of like what the Lord Jesus wants us to do. And, and Jonah didn't want to go. He ran away because he thought they deserved death. There's no way God can save them. And that's the way the modern church sometimes gets about various segments of society. Homosexuals. Liberals. Or conservatives, if you're persuaded the other way. You know, whatever, whatever, whatever the case may be. But that's how we get, is we're like, we, we, we know the gospel, but when we think of like the gospel being preached to them, no, they need to be told that they're going to hell, which is true. But doesn't, didn't Jesus say, go and preach the good news to every creature? Every creature. What are we doing here? What are we doing here? Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18 says this. Listen to this. You know these words, but but really listen. Ready? Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Just stop there for a minute. Now, let me read the rest of it. So, So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. So do you see what happens? Do you see what happens to Joseph there? 
First of all, what happened to Joseph would be paralyzing, devastating news for any man who is betrothed to a woman. They're betrothed to one another, which is, which is more binding. It's, it's, we, we would say it's akin to a couple getting engaged, but, but it's actually more binding than that. It was, it was as binding as marriage. It was ba- basically being betrothed meant they were legally as good as married, but they weren't living in the act of marriage yet. Right? They, 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 there was no physical union between them. But, but legally speaking, they were as good as married. Right? And then he found out that she was pregnant. That would devastate anyone. Now, Joseph, we're told, is this righteous guy, which meant two things. Number one, he wasn't going to marry her, but also he was a gracious guy, and he was going to go about breaking this betrothal by divorce. Uh, a divorce was needed to break a betrothal. Uh, he was going in the modern... That's why it's more than just an engagement. I mean, an engaged couple can just call it off and decide they're not going to get married. But in, a betrothal had to be formally broken by a divorce. And he was going to do it quietly. He was going to do it privately because he was just and he was merciful. He's a godly guy. Joseph was a... I mean, everything that God chooses is perfect and right and he has his reasons. But at least from the outset, Joseph looks like the perfect guy to have chosen for this mission. But do you see what happens... Joseph's Joseph's understanding of the situation gets changed. Joseph is thinking, this is the woman I'm going to marry, and she's pregnant. This isn't going to happen. Then an angel of the Lord appears to him a dream and says, this isn't about that. Let me tell you what this is about. The baby that's in her is from God. Right? No man has touched her. Don't worry. She's still a virgin. No one has touched her. Right? So don't be afraid to take her as your wife. Okay? But that which is in her is conceived of the Holy Spirit. And Mary's going to bring forth a son. And you're going to call his name Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. So Joseph's whole focus on the situation, Joseph had a what are we doing here moment. This wasn't just about Joseph. This wasn't just about Joseph's wedding and Joseph's marriage. Joseph is told this is about so, so much. You're still going to get married. Mary's still going to be your wife. No man has touched her. Don't be afraid to take her as your wife. But you need to know, you're gonna, you, Joseph, are actually going to call this kid Jesus, which means salvation of God. Yeshua. The last part of that is an abbreviated form of Yah or Yahweh, which is the, which is the name of God. And Yeshua, Yeshua, Yah. It means salvation of God. You're going to call his name Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. This isn't just about your wedding and your marriage, Joseph. This is about something more. It's not just about donuts and Bible studies. It's about something more. It's not just about church services and songs and dinners and and, and everything else that we do, which are all good and they're all wonderful. 
It's about the gospel. We know people that are lost. We run into strangers that are lost. And listen, God's expectation is that his children take the message of his salvation to the lost, to your friends, to your... You should be annoying and bothering all of the people in your life that know that are lost, begging them to come here and listen or begging them to sit down and listen or pointing them to our website or pointing, giving them literature, whatever. Bother them. Bother them. They're going to hell if they're lost. Bother them. Annoy them. Because Jesus wasn't just a baby who was born. Jesus was the word which became flesh. Jesus was the word who in the beginning was with God and was God. And the word, the word which was God. All things were made through him. He is the one who gives life and light to all men. He is the word of God. Not word like words on a page, but word in that he is the perfect expression of the Father. You see Jesus, you see God the Father. They're one. He became flesh to bring salvation to sinful humanity. But salvation does not come to sinful humanity unless they hear the message. And guess who has been dispatched by the Father, by the Lord Jesus, by the Holy Spirit to deliver that message to the lost world? We have. What are we doing here? That's what we're here to do. May I say to you, that the Christmas story, and that's it. I mean, if you read into chapter 2, you read about like the wise men and you read about all these other things. And you know, it, it, Christmas has become such like a, a, a like sentimentalized holiday with all its traditions and everything else that nobody cares how wrong some of the traditions are. And it drives me crazy, you know. I mean, there aren't like, there aren't, there aren't like you know, three kings that, that come to the manger. It, it's, it's just not there. Right, and a lot of the songs mention it, and everything else. The little manger scenes with the three kings. It's not long, uh, after, after, after Jesus was born. This great caravan of of wise men, along with animals and probably detachment of guards and everything. They come. They come from the east, and they they they're led by this star right into Jerusalem, and they go and they go to Herod, and Herod sends them over to uh, Bethlehem, and they go to Bethlehem, and they come into the house, not the manger. They come into the house where they're staying, and they, and this happens like it could be like a year later because Herod deals with it by by putting to death all the boys in Bethlehem, two years old and younger. So like so like we get we get wrapped up in the traditions, forgetting that the, the, this is about a message that comes from the Bible. And that's like kind of the first thing I want to say about the Christmas story is everything we know about the Christmas story, as we call it, comes from the Gospels in the Bible. Matthew, Luke, Mark's nothing about it, right? Matthew, Luke. Matthew and Luke give the familiar parts of the story, and then John gives like the, the real theological part of the story, which is what we shared at the dinner last week, right? You know, which I just shared again now a little bit, the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And, and Tuesday, by the way, Tuesday morning when you come here, we'll read from Luke. So we covered, we covered uh, John at the dinner. 
talking about Matthew's account today. We'll talk about Luke's account on Tuesday morning. Um, but uh, the first thing you need to see is that what we know, without even reading a word of it, what we know about the birth of Jesus is all revealed in writing, in the writings of these books, Matthew, Luke, and John. What is the purpose of those books, Matthew, Luke, and John? The purpose of those books, in one way or another, from one perspective or another, is to communicate to the reader the story of the gospel. That's why they're called gospels. So the whole point of the Christmas story, as we call it, is not just to talk about a baby in a manger. The whole point of the Christmas story is that it's the beginning of the story of salvation and redemption that has come to men. The gospel is inseparable from Christmas. That's why I said Christmas. The gospel is the point of Christmas. If the gospel is not at the center of your Christmas celebration, what are you doing here? Right? I mean, and so it's like, I mean, even John himself states at the end of his gospel, there's many other things that Jesus did that are not written in this book, but these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you might have life in his name. That's actually written at the end of the gospel of John, at the end of chapter 20 of the gospel of John. I mean, the guys who wrote this down stated that the reason that all this stuff is written down is not just to give you a holiday to celebrate. The reason all of this stuff is written down was to point to the salvation that God was bringing to the world. Hey, listen, this is really, so, so the, of the whole context of the story, the whole context of what we call Christmas is supposed to be about the Son of God coming and giving His life for our sins and rising from the dead. And that's it. That's what it's about. And that's what it should be, it should be about for all of us. That's what it should be about every day of our lives. It's what it should be about as we live and walk and interact with each other and with people who are lost. We need, there's a line in that hymn that we sang, Send the Light, that says, we have heard the Macedonian call today. Send the light, send the light. Do you know what that line, you know where that line is from? We have heard the Macedonian call today. Do you know what the Macedonian call is? I know some of you do. You remember in the book of Acts, when Paul is in what's called Turkey today, but was called Asia back then, Asia Minor, and I want to say he's in the city of Troas, if I remember, but he's like in northwest modern-day Turkey. And in a vision, Paul sees a Macedonian man. This is in the book of Acts. And this Macedonian man says what? Does anyone know? Match, you know? Very close. He actually says... Very close. That's good. Good guess. He actually says, help us. That's the Macedonian call. Because Paul, when he sees this vision and this Macedonian man says, come and help us, he knows it's the Lord telling him to cross the sea and set foot in Macedonia and go throughout those cities, Philippi, Thessalonica, etc. Go throughout those cities of Macedonia and preach the gospel. That's the Macedonian call, to send the light of the gospel to people. That's what we're called to do. That's what Christmas is about, if you're going to observe it and celebrate it truly. That's what the story here is about. The angel tells him, listen, you're going to call him Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. 
And we're told to go and tell that message to others. There's one particular thing. You don't know this yet, but I have a list of points here. And I've already finished two of them. So now I, I haven't numbered them for you. But now we're going on to the third one. Listen to this. One of the other great points of the Gospel of Matthew is uh, they write for the, Matthew, Luke, and John. They write for purposes. John wrote his gospel very late, and that's why John's gospel probably reads so differently than the other three. The other three gospels are called the synoptic gospels. Theologians call it that because they, 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 they seem to share so much of their text. Luke even says in the prologue of his gospel that I've read other writings and I've compared everything. So, so Luke's, is a, Luke's, is, Luke's gospel is a real research paper, you know? And... Uh, but John's gospel appears different because he writes it very, very late and he was writing after many years of ministry among Jews and Gentiles. And so that's why when John writes his gospel, you'll often see him say a word, like he'll say like, uh, 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 he'll, he'll say something and then he'll say which is translated such and such because he knows he's got a large Gentile Greek-speaking audience reading him. Luke, when he wrote his gospel, wrote it, uh, Luke was uh, a, a, likely a Gentile, who wrote his gospel uh, after researching lots of other things. Matthew wrote his gospel very distinctly to a Jewish audience. And that's why in Matthew's gospel, the main point is not the, the happenings of the story, but what's really the centerpiece of Matthew's gospel? It's, it's this idea that Jesus was born of a virgin, isn't it? That of, of what we call the Christmas story. The main point in Matthew is this, is this thing that appears in verse 22. All this was done... This, all, this, this whole, in other words, the whole point of all this, the whole point of me telling you about what happened to Joseph and how the angel appeared to him in the dream and what he told them to do, the whole point is this. So it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And then he translates it because, because he's, he's writing uh, in Greek, but for a largely Jewish audience, which is translated God with us, right? And that's a prophecy that's from Isaiah chapter 7. And so what Luke is, or what Matthew is trying to show here is that the birth of Jesus was, number one, to bring forth, to begin to bring forth the plan of saving people, but number two, it's the fulfillment of a promise. It's the fulfillment of a promise that God spoke through a prophet so many years ago. And that's one of the things you need to know. Listen, what are we doing here? We're here to preach the gospel. And this gospel that we're called to preach is something that God promised that he would do so, so long ago. And that's one of the reasons why you should treat it with the utmost respect and with the, the highest honor and with the greatest diligence and with the, the sweetest humble of heart and humility of spirit that you could possibly find within yourself that God has called you to preach the gospel is because when you're preaching the gospel to someone, you're not just sharing with someone a religion. You're not just sharing with someone a story. You're sharing with someone what God has promised and then fulfilled. God promised that he would bring salvation to people and when Jesus was born, that was the beginning of the fulfillment of that promise. And of course, when Jesus died and then was buried and then rose from the dead, everything was accomplished that needed to be accomplished to save people and Jesus ascended back to heaven, leaving 
with his servants the instructions to go and preach it throughout all the world. When you share the gospel with someone, you're not just trying to convince them of your theology. When you share the gospel with someone, you're not just trying to convert them to another religion. You're not doing any of that at all. All you're doing is opening your mouth and issuing on behalf of a promise-giving God the details of that promise. God promised long ago that he would bring salvation from sin to the world. And when you preach the gospel to someone, you're preaching the fulfillment of that. When you talk about what happened at Christmas, what you're talking about is the moment in time that came that God began to unfurl, unfold, unravel that incredible plan of redeeming people. So what are we doing here? And you know people that need this. And even though, even though I feel like the people in my life, and I don't mean here in church, but the people in my life outside church and my family and everything else, I've shared the gospel with them, right? They know what I'm about. I've written to them. I've spoken to them, right? But there are so many people that I still meet, strangers, And when I take the time to talk to them, which I should do more often, but I do sometimes. When I take the time to talk to them and find, you know what I find? I find that there are people all over the place in America. In America. There are people all over the place who have no clue about what this says. No clue. What am I doing here? What are we doing here? There are people that come from Roman Catholic backgrounds. There are people that come from various Protestant backgrounds. There are people that come from cults. There are people that are Jewish. There are people that are Muslims. There are people that are Hindus. There are people that are other religions, and there are atheists all over the place, and there are people that are just ignorant, and there are people flat out, maybe the biggest group of them are people that just don't care. In America... What are we doing? God made a promise. And we're going to celebrate Christmas with the full understanding and knowledge that what happened the day that Jesus was born was that was the moment that God began to bring to fruition the promise that he made to bring salvation to the world. To bring it. God saved people when they believed even before Jesus came. Salvation has always been by God's grace through faith. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, right? However, when Jesus came, that was the moment that the thing that was necessary to purchase that salvation began to be fulfilled. God is a promise-keeping God. And when you and I, when you and I are walking day by day, our mission is to share the words of that promise that God made. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1. I want to read a few verses from Acts and then we'll be done today. Maybe we'll get done a little early today. That'll be my Christmas present to you. But listen to this. So, Acts chapter 1 Verse 4. Now listen. 
This is familiar ground. Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. What I've, just, what I've just done is I jumped from the beginning of the story to the end of it. Right? So now we, we read about Jesus being born. And now we're going to read about what happened after he rose from the dead. And, and there's really mostly one point from this verse that I want to make. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And I I explained to you in the past what that question means. Just to just see, remember it, when, when the Jewish expectation of Messiah, when he came, was that he was going to kick the Romans out and reestablish the throne of David. That's not a wrong understanding. The prophets say that's going to happen. What the Jews of that time missed was that this had to happen first, and that is still yet going to happen. So now that Jesus came and he didn't kick the Romans out and he didn't restore the throne of David, but he died and he rose from the dead, so maybe now's the time. Now he's going to do it. Now he's going to get the Romans out of here. Now he's going to... So they ask him, will you restore the kingdom at this time? And he said to them, not for you to know. None of your business. Not even even what you should be thinking about right now. Listen, listen, listen. What are we here for? It's a what are we here for moment. You're not here for that. You're not here to worry about what I'm going to do with David's throne. Not your business. Not even for you to know. Not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Jesus there even takes it off of himself. Jesus basically says there, It's not even my business, let alone yours. It's the Father's business alone. But, now here's your business. What are we here for? The kingdom of David being reestablished? No. Here's what you're here for. Here's what they're here for. Here's what you're here for. Here's what we're here for. Here's why Fellowship Bible Church exists. Ready? You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, in Woodbridge, in Parthamboy, Carteret, Edison, Touchin, fill in the blank, New Jersey. You will be witnesses to me. Witnesses to me. See? What are we here for? Get rid of the Romans and reestablish the kingdom. Yeah. Get rid of all of those people. Get our politicians in power. Do this over here. Do that over here. Fix this. No. Here's what you're here for. In the power of the Holy Spirit, whom you receive when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, You are to be my witnesses. You are to go to people and you are to say to them what happened to you. That's what a witness is. 
John MacArthur, I heard him say that many years ago. What's a witness? A witness is someone who can say what they've seen, what they've heard, what they've experienced. That's what you are to do. You are to go and to tell people in Christ Jesus what has happened to you, what you know, what you know, what the word of God teaches, but more than that, what has happened to you in Christ. Do you know, do you know, what, do you know what these people did? Well, if you read into chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came and they did that very thing. Began through the book of Acts, this pattern of people preaching the word wherever they go. Look, you remember last week, right? When I was reading from Philippians 1 and Paul was rejoicing and thankful over the people of that church because of their fellowship in the gospel. Remember that? That's what, listen, why is the Philippian church, why did the Philippian church have this beautiful, wonderful letter written to it? Because they knew why they were here. And they shared in the gospel with the Apostle Paul, right? And you see that as you, the story of Philippi is in the book of Acts. There's other stories that are in here. Look real quick, at, you're in the book of Acts, page ahead to chapter 8. So before Paul was Paul, Paul was, yeah. So in chapter 8, he's still Saul. And chapter 8, he's a dangerous guy. What happened in chapter 7? Stephen got, Stephen got stoned to death because he made his defense of the gospel before the Sanhedrin. And this guy, Saul, was standing there approving of the whole thing, guarding, their, guarding the coats of the holy ones who threw the rocks at Stephen. Right? We're not even going to get dirt on our cloaks when we do this. They took their cloaks off. Hey, you, come here. And they laid down their cloaks at this young Pharisee named Saul who stood there while they stoned Stephen to death. And then you know what Saul did? Saul went nuts. This is, it says, Now Saul was consenting to his death. At this time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made a great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Look at the next verse. Therefore... Those who were scattered did what? They went everywhere preaching the word. They knew why they were here. They knew why they were here. You and I need to understand. This is, this is Christmas. This is the point. This is why we're here, is to go and scatter the word. There's people everywhere that are, even in this country, that are completely ignorant of these things. And you know them. And even if you don't feel comfortable speaking them, number one, you can learn to. You can pray, you can be taught, you can get around people that do and learn how. Number two, you can give them literature, which will kind of do it for you. And number three, you can invite them, beg them, pester them, bother them to come here to listen. Because you hear the words of life here. You hear about Christ here. You hear from the Bible here. You hear about salvation here. It's great for us to listen to this, but let's get some other people in here that need to hear this stuff. Bother them. Do you believe they're going to die and go to hell? Bother them. 
They went everywhere preaching the word. The page ahead to chapter 11 in Acts. Verse 19. Look at this. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen, that's what we just read about, right? At this point now, Paul is Paul. Well, he's still called Saul, but he's about to have his name changed to Paul very quickly. At those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but Jews only. But some of them who some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. That's what happens when you go and you preach the word of the Lord Jesus to people. And they didn't go, listen, there was this natural division between Jews and Hellenists. Do you know who Hellenists were? They were also Jews, but Hellenists were Jews who had been like assimilated and completely drawn into the Greek culture and the Greek language. In other words, the Hellenists were Jews who looked just like any other Gentile in the way they lived their lives, but they were Jews, right? And these people didn't just go and preach the gospel to the ones who were good Jews. They went to the Hellenists and they preached the gospel to them. And you see what the Lord did? The Lord said, yes, I am with you. Because they were doing what the Lord wanted them to do. They were preaching the gospel to every creature. And the Lord was with them. A great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, which there's not much left of. It's just the apostles had broken up. They sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them, which is what his name means, by the way. Barnabas means encouragement. Um, encourage them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus. Note of trivia, I've been to Tarsus. The Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And listen, you want you want to talk about a church that like they knew why they were here. I mean, what this church was doing was preaching the gospel to people. People were getting saved. They were gathering together. They were teaching them, teaching them, teaching them, teaching them, teaching them. People were growing in their knowledge of the Lord. I mean, this is the first powerhouse church in history. Really, is the church? I mean, the church at Jerusalem is what it was, but but the church at Antioch is really like the first, like like the church at Antioch is going to be like the first missionary sending church. Because when you get to chapter thirteen, the Holy Spirit says to them, "Separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work that I've called them to." But this church is so significant that the impact of the church of Antioch still is in your life every time you call yourself a yeah. That's where the name came from, right? You see it? They were, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch, which gives some indication that the writer of the book of Acts, who was Luke, by the time Luke wrote the book of Acts, it became very common to refer to the people as Christians. But every time we call ourselves Christians, 
you're, you're actually literally practicing something that was adopted first in the church of Antioch when Paul and Barnabas were there. How cool is that? Right? But do you see what they did? They went everywhere preaching the word because they knew why they were here. I understand this is not the typical Christmas message, but, but I was just really, I was, I'm telling you, man, the way this happened is exactly as I said. I was prepared to share these things, and then I ran, after I was already prepared to like say most of what I'm saying here today, I ran into this guy at Dunkin' Donuts, and, and, and he just told me about that story. You know, what are we doing here? And it just stuck with me, and just fit so perfectly. And it, listen, we're going to have Christmas you are in a couple of days, and I hope you enjoy it. I intend to enjoy it. I'm looking forward to seeing my family. I'm looking forward to just relaxing for the week and enjoying some time, you know, and everything else. My children are home, off from school, and we're going to have a good time and all that. But listen, let's not forget what this is. And I don't mean the holiday. I mean the point of our lives. What is the point of our lives? Why are we here? What are we doing? We all know people who need Christ. If you are one of his, go get them. Give them stuff to read. Keep bugging them until they come to church with you. Keep opening your mouth and keep talking to them. Go after them. You know, one of the best things you ever hear is when someone someone says, oh, those born-again Christians, they're so annoying. Amen. Amen. Right? I mean, that's it. I mean, we're trying to snatch people from the fire, as Jude says. Right? That's not done politely, usually. Right? Remember what it's about. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He gave his life for our sins. All of my lying and filthy language and thievery and lust and coveting, and dishonoring of my parents, and all the idols that I worship overtly or subconsciously in my life. Everything everything I do, everything I think, everything I say, everything in my heart that has violated and offended God. I deserve to be judged and destroyed because God is holy. But Jesus came. And when Jesus died on the cross, he bore the just wrath of God against all of my crimes against God. He who knew no sin became sin for me that I might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus died and he took the penalty for my sins and now the grace of God, the gift of God, the love of God manifest is that if I put my faith in him, if I trust in the Lord Jesus, humble myself, repent and turn to the Lord Jesus in faith, believing on him with all of my heart. He wipes away my sins. He enters me and seals me and gives me an irrevocable promise of everlasting life. What am I doing here? Freely I have received. Freely I better give. Take it, take it to those who need to hear. Merry Christmas to you.
Stand up with me. Let's sing a song. Let's sing Silent Night, Holy Night. It's number 147. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Uh, I hope I see a good number of you on on Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock. I promise that service will not go past 11 o'clock. And uh, uh, so come on out if you can. If you can't, then uh, God bless you and have a Merry Christmas. And uh, hope to see you again. Take these words that we heard today to heart. Remember why you're here. If you're in Christ, remember what you've received and remember why God has left you here, okay?
God bless you. Brother Bob back there, would you close us with a prayer?